Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to another episode of Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the Martin Riggs, to my Roger Murda. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? I'm feeling like a loose cannon, Nathan. Yeah, you ready to, ready ready to, to go off. off? All right, and then our very own, Mr. Joshua, that's right, the psychopath himself. Maybe I should put the gun in my mouth. Eric Ronnebeck. <laughs> Eric, how you doing? I thought you were going to call me Joe Pesci, and I was prepared to go Joe Pesci, but now I have to be Gary Busey. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, you can yell at your remote like he did in that commercial for no reason. All right, let's get into it. Why? That's just Gary Busey trying to watch TV. Come on now. Seahawks <laughs> at Minnesota. I want to get right to it. But first, before we do that, we got to get into a few comments made by our boy, Frank Clark. That's right. He clapped back Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman's been talking trash a lot. Oh, this is some real Well, you don't want to do this leading into the San Francisco game? I was ready for this. Some this real perfect some, lead-in. Some real petty... Ness, Frank Clark, if he's got anything to say about our defense, he can say it on the field. At the end of the day, we're 1-0 and against Richard Sherman right now, and our plan is to be 2-0. and uh, He said, this is not Richard Sherman's defense anymore. This is my defense. Uh, he had many other choice. Uh, at the, um, Your time is I over. like his line about Your era, uh, The Richard Sherman in his era is over here. I like his line about uh, there's some things going wrong in the San Francisco locker room. Maybe you should worry about those. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's because it's, it's a true statement. All right, so it's a true fact. So let's uh, let's let's get into it. Do you guys uh, do you think that this Richard Sherman thing does it extra motivate the Seahawks to like go stick it to the 49ers this week and make sure we're one win away from clinching a playoff spot? Does it does it because uh, we have we have the tiebreaker on everyone? It's amazing. Uh, do we is this it? Is this it? Like is this the the mo- extra motivation we need to make sure we don't have a kind of a letdown after we've had three pretty big games in a row and we won all of them? I don't think in division this is the type of team that'll have a letdown. I think that that's something Pete's pretty good at as a coach is keeping that from happening. But, I mean, yeah, there'll be certain people that are definitely up. I think Bobby's going to always be up to play against Sherm. I think Frank Clark sounds pretty up. I think it could be a bit of a boost for the defense. But, I mean, you're asking if Richard Sherman's providing bulletin board material for another team? The answer is always yes. Yeah, it's it's a petty player being angry. And we talked about this last week when we played the Niners. Like, the Seahawks that stuck around wanted to stick around, and they don't hate Pete Carroll. And they don't hate their teammates. The guys that are left are gone for a reason. Screw you, Shermie. I still love you, though. <laughs> uh, I still love you, but uh, you're you're uh, you're, you're not you a nice. Need to, you need to calm the heck down. So okay, we uh, quit being so vociferous. So we're gonna get right into it. Okay, let's go to Minnesota and Seattle. We're gonna start with the most important play of the game. Okay, there was one play that stood above all others in in the course of this game. So the Seahawks have the ball. Okay, no, no fake. Not even they don't. They they don't even fake the run. They don't even fake the run. George Fant runs his route. <laughs> He's out in the flat. He's open. He catches the ball. He's going to the house and somehow turf uh, monster. A gremlin pulls him down to into the depths. Nathan, uh, it was it? It was uh, it was first and ten. 13.49 to go in the third quarter. The Seahawks unleashed the beast. We've been waiting it. I think I said it last week. Throw it to Fant, you cowards. And, well, my wishes have been heard. Took, Guys, talk, talk to me about George Fant, tight end. Took the uh, Lamborghini out of the garage on this one. On Facebook the other day, I saw a video that, Nathan, your mother posted. And it had uh, your little little baby boy being really excited and he uh he was walking really fast and his legs couldn't keep up the ground he's going so fast he fell over that's what i saw with george fan not as adorable though when i beg to differ it was incredibly adorable um (laughs) when you are as fine-tuned an athlete as george fant 
we expect more out of you Here's on the run the after thing. catch. Okay, and that's I'll... the thing. I was a little disappointed. I expected him to turn turn it up, feel a little more decisively. I thought he could have gotten a few more yards. He could have destroyed you the guy in front an of offensive him. weapon like that. You know, here's the thing. It's like Gail Sayers used to say. The the first guy you're not even thinking about because you know you're going to make him miss. It's the second guy that you're playing the move for. That's what I need to see out of Fant. Here's the thing, guys. George Fant has reported as eligible to be a receiver. And now he has proven that that's the case. He ran three routes last game. Uh, Do you see Pro Football catch. Focus is listing him as a got tight end? Catch. It was not Pro Football Focus. It's uh, it's it's another website. Okay. Uh, is it Pro Football Reference? Yes, no. I think so. Yeah, okay. Because uh, he's lined Cause up. Because he's reporting. Because <laughs> he's reported as eligible way more times than he's played left tackle this year. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, he he run blocked 29 times, pass blocked 7 times. He went out on three routes. He got a uh, catching grade of 56.3 from Pro, Pro Football Focus. Yes. Um, better than any of us have. Caught as many passes as a Jerron Brown. Yep, he had one, uh, one catch on one target, <laughs> nine yards. Uh, he had uh, nine yards after catch, so he, he created a lot of his own uh, offense there. He didn't uh, Russell didn't do the work for him. That's it. And uh, yeah, George Fant. Uh, I'm going to say it again. Uh, this week, I would like to see them throw it to George Fant again. It would I'm be really nice it. to see him catch the ball, not fall down, and just truck Richard Sherman. I right, know. Let's keep on, let's keep on the offense though. I'm going to tell you guys if I would have told you before the game the Seahawks will have 70. Two yards passing. What would you have told me this game looked like? Ugh, it's going to be one of those games. Uh, it would look like the first 57 minutes of this game. Yes. That's what I would immediately think. On the way here, Kevin and I were talking about the game, and I was like, this is this is why I hate football. The first 55 minutes of this game are why I hate football. The last five minutes, very enjoyable. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a little nerve-wracking. Yeah, the pass game. The pass game just really struggled to to get going. Uh, the long passes that we look for in the the kind of the the pass efficiency offense that the Seahawks have were just not there. O for three deep to the right. O for one deep to the left. Uh, one and for one are... on the ten plus yard passes. But overall, that means one for five on deep throws. It's pretty pretty subpar day for us. And a couple of those deep passes, like what there was the. Um... It was a 31-yard penalty, so it would have been a 30- to 35-yard pass to lock it down the right sideline on the Xavier Rhodes uh, defensive pass interference. Um, That's one that could have been a longer catch. Uh, There was the drive at the end of the second quarter um, before Russ made all the Russell mistakes in one play. Um, They were on about the 30 he lofted a nice one to uh, Moore. Moore did not have a very good game. No, no catches, four targets. I heard uh, someone say I read like a, the title of an article that said Moore could that have catch, gotten both feet in there. Yeah, that catch by Moore should have been reviewed. I didn't. I didn't see a catch. If there. they'd have reviewed it, he his uh, one of his feet landed out of bounds. He did not get two feet in. I don't think he made a football move either. So uh, that doesn't matter. In the overall, end. though, the, this what really caused this the Seahawks struggles is the is the pressure versus no pressure. So no no pressure. Russell was fine. 11, seven for 11, 55 yards. Pretty low yards per attempt, but you know not horrible day. Seventy five point nine QB rating. Uh, you know just slightly below average. Under pressure. Three for nine. Seventeen yards. Pick sack twice. Two point eight NFL rating. I'm um, just. That's uh, bad. They gave up pressures on over half of the dropbacks, and they when they when he was under pressure, it was just not a not a fun day for Russell Wilson. So what we need to look for next week is the Seahawks really need to find a way to stop stop the pressure. You know, 
stem the stem the bleeding there. Don't allow so quite so much pressure. I mean, thirteen hurries is a is a lot of hurries. It looked to me like a Fetty had a really bad game. Did you see the same? Uh, I Simmons. I I thought Simmons was a substandard. Uh, a Fetty. A Fetty allowed one hunter sack. Yeah. and a couple pressures. Yep. Agree, yep. Exactly, However, exactly uh, correct. Three penal pressures. Brett allowed two. Sweezy two. Um, your boy George Fant zero. Uh, your boy Dwayne Brown zero. So our two biggest running games of the year, Simmons in instead of Fluker. One That's thing, my stat tidbit. One thing I noticed is okay, Rashad yeah. Rashad Penny got a couple chance opportunities to pass block in this game. Uh, okay, he got one opportunity to pass block in this game, but and it's something I it. it's something I've been kind of waiting for because yeah, earlier in the season he had a, they gave him that opportunity and he blew it, and it's kind of taken him off the field on third downs for the rest of the season. He did a good job this time. He held up well. He blocked his guy. I would love to see Rashad starting to get more third down opportunities because he's such a dynamic pass catcher. But he's got to keep that up. He's got to not make sure that he's making those blocks because if he doesn't. Uh, then yeah, he'll find himself off the field on third down like he is now. And Mike Davis gets those opportunities, which is fine. I like Mike Davis, whatever. But he's I definitely like Rashad getting eight carries and Davis getting three as opposed to the other way around. Right. When but I see I, Davis on the on the field though. I I go back to our conversations about why is Davis in the game? He should not be in the game that right. Much. He's in the game yep. because he's blocking. And he blocks better. And exactly. Davis had two two targets in the past game. And if those two targets were to Rashad Penny, I would feel much better about that too as well, Kevin. So that's that's kind yeah, of I'm with you there. What uh, where I'm at is that I want to see that that kind of changing of the guard happening. Carson is is earning all of his runtime though. Uh, if we look at his his rushes in this game, uh, Carson had 22 rush attempts, 90 yards. That's four yards per attempt. The touchdown, the six first downs. Uh, 72 of his 90 yards coming after contact. A really another banner day for uh, for Chris Carson. Uh, what what do there's you guys what do you guys think of the Seahawks' very own battering ram? There's a very specific play that I want to bring up, and it's something I highlighted on Twitter, but I honestly don't think you can highlight it too many times. And that was it was right towards the end of the game, uh, handoff to the uh, right, another outside run for Chris Carson. He kind of takes off, gets a nice angle on the defensive end, and he gets out to he gets out past the numbers, turns up the sideline, and you can see the part where he just kind of plants his foot, pivots, and turns upfield instead of turning stops, out of bounds. Yeah. And not only does he gain enough yardage to grab the first down right there at a point where you're really trying to bleed the clock, but just the awareness to know like that was a time where the yardage was not as important as making sure that you stayed in bounds. Well, he he didn't allow the defense to set the edge. He set the edge for them, and it allowed him to get that first down to, like you said, stay in bounds and also just honestly intimidate the defense like he does all the time. Well, he knew he had the outside all day. It's uh, it's well as like you don't want to label a player as like a Marshawn Lynch because that's not really a fair comparison for that player. Nope, the only player but who there are say- things he does that are that are as good a fit in this offense as Marshawn yeah, does. The only player who can say they're a Marshawn Lynch is Derrick Henry right after that 99 yard run. He could say <laughs> on this play I was a Marshawn Lynch because he was. Uh, the uh, Rashad Penny added his eight rushes for 44 yards getting 35 of his after first contact. Um, this is the Rashad Penny I think we all thought we drafted. Um, this is the kind of explosive dynamic player who can kind of Blow up that 80, 82-yard run that went 17 yards was like one of my favorite <laughs> plays of the of the whole season. Oh, it's training. impressive. I'll tell you this, though. 
you need real talent to, to pull something like that off. Oh, and Lockett's throwback block was just beautiful. Because <laughs> guy, yeah, he bought two guys. Yeah, that was good. Uh, guys, guys can't Guys can't get away with that. You know, guys can't get away with crossing the field like that unless they're really, really, really good. It's the opposite of a Russell Wilson block where Russ just runs in front and and just really wants we to get exercise. We got both on the same play. It was really funny. Yeah, tries to get in the way, but doesn't. It does really. he doesn't? He doesn't want to get hurt himself. The, I think the fun rushing stat here, though, is, you know, we've been, gone over Carson and Penny and a little bit of Davis. But the real rushing stat is, uh, hey, Nathan, how much uh, how much uh, time did Kirk Cousins spend on the field? Well, this, is well, a, this is a great stat. So how much time, like the time of possession battle in this exactly. game? That's okay. what it comes down to. I had one more running stat I wanted to get to before that, but let's just you do, go let's, for it. No, let's do yours first. So the... The, the time of possession in this game... Sorry, we're Monday night, so I, it takes me a second to pull it up. I'm sorry. Uh, no, it's okay. I'm ready now. Mo- Monday, it was uh, 28-11 for Minnesota and 31-49 for Seattle. Yeah, when, so, when your guy is sitting on the uh, bench and you're not having a good day passing, you're not going to get a rhythm. You're not going to be able to uh, to get your offensive coordinator to keep his job. It's just... It's something I mean, we do, and it allowed us to win the game. I mean, we sucked on third down in this game, three for eleven, but they sucked worse, two for ten, including the zero for two on fourth downs. That they went for it twice in like situations where I say you definitely should go for it, and they just they couldn't get the job done. The, Bobby Wagner, stout. The one where the they threw, I, I, if I was a Minnesota Vikings fan, I'd be losing my mind. You <laughs> just, you just snuck for a half yard without any problems, uh, and you. So you've shown like this is a play we have in our playbook that we can execute. Just go out and do that again. It's really hard to stop a sneak from getting uh, three, two feet. You know what I mean? One foot. Like yeah, the just, pass where uh, uh, Brad knocked it out of. Yeah, uh, just like what a shitty, Rudolph's what hand. a shitty throw. Like what a what a terrible play call. Uh, the I just don't get that. That that play is probably why D. Filippo got fired. By the way, if I had to point it, but wait, let's talk about Russell Wilson's runs. Okay, Russell Wilson ran in this game. Five rush attempts, two scrambles, three designed runs. On the three designed runs, he got 11 yards. And on the on the um, two scrambles, he got 50, including the 40-yard longest run of the season. We've talked this year about a little bit about how our team is kind of lacking in the, the big run category. It seems like we ching up a bunch of 7-yarder, 8-yarder, 10-yarder, 7-yarder, 6-yarder. You know what I mean? It's never like the big run. That was a huge one. Um, yeah, 40 my, yards, that's a chunk. Yeah, my favorite thing, though, is that of those five runs, four went for first downs. He made sure the chains kept moving. Uh, the designed runs, he got first downs on all of them. So just a really uh, exciting performance from uh, from Russell Wilson. And I think that it kind of shows he's gaining more confidence in his feet, even though I think Eric, Eric's been saying it all year. He doesn't look quite the same as a runner as he did when he was first up in the NFL. He's but two things that's interesting about Russell Wilson. One, the guy's as wide as a house. He's really big. That Stout. that bulk is going to affect you. He's a brick. House. Also, we can we can watch this Apparently later. Apparently, likes some thick <laughs> with four C's. With four C's. I'll say this: Did it look like he was? Uh, how do I say this? He wasn't limping. Did he have a hitch in his giddy up? He looked a little bit like an old man running. Did you say chocolate? Did you say chocolate giddy up? Chocolate giddy up. <laughs> Anytime I can make that black dynamite reference, you know I'm going to do it, guys. I appreciate um, it. <laughs> All right. I sell drugs in the community. <laughs> but, but Black Dynamite. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, it, I wish we could do that movie from Movie Club again. We should probably just do it for people who weren't listening at the time. You know, same with kick, uh, Kickboxer. I mean, Bloodsport. <laughs> with Bloodboxer and Kicksport. Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, wait, maybe we'll do Maybe we'll do like a Greatest Hits edition where we, we bring back a couple of the classics. That's a great off-season podcast. Uh, yeah, we'll do it in the off-season. All right. Uh, any, uh, any other notes? I thought Sweezy played good. How about that? 
Sweezy, sure. Sweezy out there on the run blocks, really grinding it, grinding it ahead. Being so, a competent NFL backup is something we needed him to do, and he has done it admirably. That's true. Uh, thinking a little more long term, um, Russell Wilson, a uh, little bit less of Russell Wilson trying to do. Uh, it, okay, our offense seems to be utilizing the Russell Wilson does a miracle a little bit less. I. Uh, I'm getting the distinct impression that has a lot to do with the fact that our offense is on time. Uh-huh. You know, when you're not constantly in third and 15, you don't constantly need Russell Wilson to run around for 12 minutes and then launch the ball 70 yards. So do you guys notice a drop in the number of Russell Wilson miracle plays? And do you see the same correlation? Well, I mean, if you look at how much time he has to throw, it he has a ton of time compared to in the past. I mean, if we look at his average, his average time to throw... He is like 28th out of 30 quarterbacks, 2.84 seconds time to attempt. And his in-pocket time is also really long. He is being allowed to be in the pocket for 3.04 seconds. So, I mean, the that's, that's good for third in the league. There is room for him to stand in the pocket and deliver a throw if that is what he decides he wants to do. And, and that's Kevin, what he always likes to do. And Kevin, you're right. Like It gives him time. And I think at the beginning of the season we saw it, he did not have confidence in it. He would break and run. He would make a, a classic like Russell mistake where he'd kind of sell out his tackles by running straight backwards. You know what I mean? Yep. Like those classic mistakes that we see. And then this year, he he's you can see his faith in the offensive line is growing. They give him a clean pocket, a nice clean sheet to work with, and it, it really affects his game. And I mean, you see, when he has two and a half seconds or more to throw, this is his stat line right now. 171 attempts, 100 completions, 20 touchdowns versus two interceptions. That's uh, good for first in the league in touchdowns by eight, okay? And his NFL rating of 124.1 puts him first, nine points ahead of Drew Brees. The guy's amazing if you give him the time, and they are right now. So, yeah, I agree, Kevin. The, the, the offense being on time is what is really making Russell happen right now. Also, like you said at the beginning of the year, he, was, he wasn't used to it. So I feel like we're grading him on a half-season curve, or like not a curve because he doesn't have a whole season. Also... Russell Wilson is uh, not used to having a red zone offense. I, no matter what we can say about uh, Daryl Bevel, the red zone offense wasn't there. That's one thing that uh, Schottenheimer actually has for us is a red zone offense. When we get in the red zone, I'm confident we're going to score a touchdown. We don't do it all the time, obviously, but we're doing it consistently. And that's something that I'm sure helped Russell get better in his pocket presence but it is also something he hasn't really had to worry about in the last eight weeks. So after a somewhat putrid offensive performance for most of the game, do you guys think that uh, there's anything to worry about, or do you think this was just kind of a blip on the radar? If he's, if he being Russell is going to get driven into the ground or back, then yeah, it's a concern. And I think our pass protection needs to improve. I'd like to have a nice 1980s offensive line that blocks and uh, run blocks and pass blocks. But right now, with Simmons in, it seems like we're a better, slightly better run-blocking team, but a vastly different, diminished, thank you, Kevin, pass-blocking team. And that's that's concerning and disconcerting. I'll say that with our uh, the next three games, maybe not a huge problem. Yeah, and I, I just want to circle back to something you just said, Eric. You said that um, the Seahawks have a legitimate red zone offense. And, I, I mean, I, there's a lot of stats that back that up. Um, they have, they're 12th in the league in points per red zone trip. For a 
And that versus being putrid last year. They were last year. year, they were horrible. <laughs> and Kansas City's first five point seven seven. So the difference between us and Kansas City's not like super, super big, you know. The team that's thirty second is at four. The J- the Jets. <laughs> so, so yeah, um, just the really a competent red zone offense has really made it a lot better for us. Um, yeah, and we we turn drives into touchdowns. We're not getting a bunch of dinky field goals. You know, this game was different. Like we were up six zero pretty deep into the football game, and then Minnesota really imploded towards the end. We got that one long drive that killed up most of the fourth quarter clock. Then Coleman gets the, the fumble. one that we'll talk about on defense in a second. That yeah. big score. And then, and then we got the defensive score, and it was like the game's over. Uh, the defense kind of gave up just a free, free a freebie to them, which kind of was disappointing to me because getting a shutout in 2018 NFL is like extraordinarily difficult, and I was very excited to see it happen. And that'd have been a good feather um, in the cap. Yeah, and it just did, did, didn't happen. For the record, I really hate that Kirk Cousins touchdown. I don't care if his pinky toe was touching the line. Uh, sorry, children, clever ears. That was complete bullshit. That's penalty. That's, you suck. That's the rule. I mean, that you're the rule. Hey, we got to break a rule. We got to break a rule with the Wagner block. If, I know. If you read the rule, like, there's no way we should not. <laughs> no, have no, that is gotten a penalty. When there. that happened, that I was, was really like, weird and funny. I was like, oh, you can't do that. And then the announcers were like, did he? Uh, I, I guess you can do and it. And then Bobby was like, I didn't know. I couldn't do that. That's and the rest, I'm like, we're gonna pick up the flag. I remember after he's just so charming. We can't help it. After Cam did it, they were like, you can't do this anymore. Secret blocks. Um, no, they the secret yards thing was real. We outpunted them by six <laughs> yards a punt. We we uh, we outkicked them. Dan Bailey missed a field goal. Uh, they were they were not good on special teams. Nope. as predicted. So uh, the other thing is just to talk about that stalled out offense thing. Um, the thing that makes me not concerned about it is Moore should have come up with that touchdown catch, uh, and Russell Wilson's not going to throw an interception in that situation. Uh, very often at the end of the first quarter, if it's ten nothing going into the half, you feel completely differently about this game. I, uh, you know, uh, Russ isn't always going to take that sack. Jermaine Effetti isn't always going to miss that block. We don't always end up without a field goal. There's thirteen. There's basically ten points that you can easily account for that should have come much earlier. Mm-hmm. If we're sitting in the third quarter, up thirteen nothing. You don't feel nearly the same way. That game's over. So uh, I'm not concerned about the offense because I saw things that tell me we like we're we're not going to have that bad of a day passing the ball. Russ doesn't do that. You know, Russ doesn't throw for 70 yards. So I, I definitely think that when you're coming off of a game where what we scored 43 against San Francisco, we scored 30 against Carolina. You know, then you're looking at a situation where, you know, 27 against Green Bay the week before that, this is not an offense that has lacked the ability to score 20 something points. So I don't think it's a time to worry yet. Okay. Uh, defense. You ready for defense? I'm always we ready spent, for defense. We spent like 20 minutes on the offense. This is great. We so much offense. Okay. I want to talk about my favorite, uh, the player who on defense I've, I've been saying this in our group chats a lot, and I throw a tweet out there every once in a while, but a player that I get excited every time they're on the field. As soon as I see the number, I see 59 out there, I'm just like, oh, man, something sweet might happen, like right here, because this guy, is he only plays like 10 snaps on defense a game. He, but on those 10 snaps, he's incredibly disruptive. He's always making plays and is the most, I think, potentially the most exciting rookie on the team, even more exciting to me than Rashad Penny just because... I, I love 
defensive line play. <laughs> so so uh, <laughs> Jacob Jacob Martin, three pressure. He only played 13 snaps. He got three pressures and a run stop on those snaps. Forced the big uh, the big fumble. Uh, just on, on a, a great, great performance from the young man. And I'm just so excited to see him continue to develop. I'm a big Jacob Martin stan. I'm, I'm more than willing to admit it. Uh, Temple Owls for life, guys. Here we go. Uh, Owls? I mean, the fact that he has 18 pressures and, like, only – he has less than, hundred, like, 150 snaps. That's just – he's just playing really, really good, uh, efficient football. He's, like, the defensive uh, efficiency guy right now. So, yeah, I'm, in, I'm into it. I'm he's in a, on Jacob Martin. He's a great rotation guy. That's what our defense is right now. It's going to be nice next year when we have two – more awesome pass rushers to mix in with these great rotational guys. Yeah, That'll be awesome. He's a specialist, you know. Like sometimes you need specialists. You just need a guy that goes out there and kind of does a thing. So for Seahawks fans, you want to think about like Chris Clemens. Um, all he does is go in there and speed rush. He's not going to have as many snaps, but it's the same job. <laughs> the other thing you might think about is, I uh, once upon a time there's a, a much- linebacker named Perry for Green Bay who all he did for the first two seasons was come in for like between 15 and 20 snaps, pin his ears back, and run at the quarterback. That is a great Jacob Martin job, is you're going to play a lot of special teams and do a decent job of it, and then you are going to pin your ears back and run at the quarterback like 10 times a season, or would, 10 times a game. I would just say, like, he's he's just the the poor man's Vic Beasley. Like, which, that is a, I mean that as a compliment. <laughs> like, like, he's just a... He does, he's like Vic Beasley. He's very one-dimensional. He's, he does, but he does a thing. He does a good. Maybe next year he starts to get 20 snaps a game, you know, and then he gets eight sacks for the whole season. You know, he, he's a specialist, and it's nice to have those guys on your team to bring on an obvious passing downs to, to kind of disrupt the defense. Yeah, it's a good role, and he plays special teams well enough that he earns a spot in two ways. Now, Jacob Martin is the defensive end that I wanted to kind of pump up a little bit before we get to the defensive end that I think every, get pumped up on his every, a little bit. everyone knows that he... Back up the Brinks truck. Here comes Frank Clark. Kevin, what what, what made Frank Clark's day so special? Uh, what made Frank Clark's day so special was the fact that he was going against one of my least favorite offensive tackle prospects from the last draft. Um, a dude named O'Neal who came out of pit and was just raw, didn't really have the ability to hang. And, man, if that wasn't exposed by our dude Clark. Uh, you know, the thing about Frank Clark is if he can't out – speed you and out quick you he can probably outpower you and that's hard to deal with you know he reminds me a lot of a younger michael bennett in that way where he basically just can size you up for about a half a quarter and decide okay are you a guy who i can who i want to get around or are you a guy who i'm gonna go straight through your chest and all game he was going straight through the offensive line's chest. He was using his hands really well. You saw he was getting great uh, burst off the line, and he was slapping the guy in the chest, and you could see his helmet rocking back. That tells you that the defensive lineman was controlling the offensive line in this case. Between him and Reed, my goodness, it was just a matter of who wanted to be in the backfield on a given play. We're probably going to franchise Frank Clark, and it's going to be fine. But I will say that the man has power. He has the ability to be savvy. And he didn't need to be savvy this game. He yeah. could just be powerful. Four pressures, three run stops. I mean, it's just a it's like the the prototypical exactly what you want your defensive end to do, right? You a hundred percent want your defensive end to 
to get four pressures and to get three run stops and to affect the game in both phases, both the run game and the pass game. Uh, and then we've got uh, Shamar Steven, uh, Puna Ford. All the, they went back to the big rotational strategy. Quentin Jefferson, Rasheem Green, all these guys got like 20 snaps in this game, which I think is just really it's something that we hadn't seen as much, right? We'd seen guys like Frank and and Jaron pulling almost every offensive snap. Those guys both got 10, 10 or thir- 10 for Jaron and 13 for Frank. They got some snaps off in this game and I think that we're going to see that tilt even more in that direction where the uh the snaps are going to start coming in and like really just how Pete likes. Up. Well, was and, it a trust issue, or was it just the young the youngins aren't ready f- to be in the prime time yet? I mean, Rasheem Green was not particularly good in the twenty snaps that he played. Um, he had sixteen pass or fourteen pass rep snaps with zero pressures. And yeah, he still his, just needs to work on some technique, and he needs a full season of uh, weight training. His like, preseason looks so promising. Too. If we knew they were going to throw that much, I think that those are all Jacob Martin snaps. Jacob Martin is never on the field when they might run, though. Like. He had 13 snaps, and they he had 12 of them pass rushing and one in coverage. Like they as it should be. They do. They are a hundred percent sure they are throwing when they put Jacob on the field, and that, that that's the difference between Jacob Martin and Rasheem Green is their bodies. Rasheem Green has a prototypical defensive end body. He's big. He's power he's side defensive end. Yeah, yeah. He can. He might. He might even be able to slide into tackle once he's a finished product. But right now, he's just not totally ready. Naz Jones. I can see why they why they DNP'd him so much this year. That was like a rough eight snaps that he played in this game and i i'm not crazy about that puna ford i'm a fan <laughs> uh, puna ford just does exactly what he does it just takes up space and moves people around it's like um i i don't i don't know what else to say like you, you want your nose tackle your, your big nose tackle defensive tackle your one technique to come in there and just move people and that's what he does uh very effective can we please talk that. some bobby wagner all right let's get into the let's get into the back the back side of the defense um i want to go bobby second because michael kendricks came back and boy, was that a breath of fresh air to just have a guy. Just have straight competency. That was just so competent. Yeah, he was not great. I'm not going to like. He so didn't screw anything up. I'm not going to blow up Michael Kendricks and act like this was like a like a great performance. He did an oh amazing God. job of like no being run. where he should be. No run stops. And doing two, what he should be doing. Gave up two passes, uh, two targets, but they're only for 11 yards. Like he was where he was supposed to be on the field. He did save one play. That I thought was going to go pretty far. He and he stopped him right at the at the yard to gain. Yep. If you guys remember that was a pretty clutch tackle. I liked that. Um, but then yeah, Bobby uh, Bobby Wagner is really good at football. Bobby Wagner continues to do everything. He is uh, the straw that stirs the drink oh, of the Seattle Seahawks defense. <laughs> Seven tackles, one pressure. Um, he was targeted four times in the past game. Only gave up three yards after catch on three catches one of those was to to digs too he got he got caught in coverage on digs and i was like oh no that's he, trouble uh, he he only gave up two yards after the catch it gave him for a first down but but it he didn't uh he didn't give he up didn't give up play. a big run yeah. yeah which is i was like i was that stresses that's a stress is we combined with clark for the big uh run stop on third down against uh latavius murray to stall them out on their drive that was made to answer our first field goal uh, or sorry, no, that was the Clark stop. It was the uh, one of the fourth quarter drives. Um, there was the big third and one stop. Uh, he was in on most of the big plays in some way, shape, or form. Just another game where he was all over the field, being impactful. They uh, they did something cool in this game. They mixed in Delano Hill and uh, at at linebacker on some of the, like the nickel plays. At, some like, weak side quote yeah. linebacker. Put it in scare quotes, you know. But like they they did it. 
made him the guy. And I thought he did fine. He was in coverage on every play because they, you know, just like Jacob Martin, he was on the field when they were sure they were going to pass. Uh, so I, I like that kind of seeing that kind of stuff. But the cornerbacks. Our, our whole defensive backfield played amazing today. Oh my, oh my goodness. Shaq Griffin looked like the first two, three games of the season, Shaq Griffin. Remember when we used to talk about Shaq and we said, yeah, maybe he gives up a couple catches, but he keeps the plays in front of him, doesn't give up huge plays, and he doesn't give up yards after catch. He was targeted eight times, gave up five receptions, three yards after the catch, uh, only two first downs given up. It's just just a, against some top flight receivers. Yeah. He had some big stops too against had, Thielen. Big stops. He had a big pass breakup against Thielen and a big pass breakup on Diggs too. They just a great performance from Shaq Griffin. I thought Trey Flowers had a really good performance too. He had that beautiful um, where he kind of had, had the dive reach in the end zone on, on Diggs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the ball that Diggs caught on him. He was in good position. He made a good such play. A good, he just got a, beaten out by a great such receiver. Such a good catch. I mean, it's forty-eight yard catch. It sucks to give up forty-eight yard catch, but but uh, he did literally everything you could do other than do commit pass interference. Like, yeah, the only thing that he could have done better is if he could have gotten inside position, which I'm glad he didn't because then he'd have been susceptible to getting beat deep. And same so, thing. Same thing as before. It's only seven yards given up after catch. We didn't get killed on drag routes in this game with the yards after catch. Like that only happened what one time where Thielen had the 44 yards after the catch. Yeah, and that was on more of a uh, screen than anything else. Uh, the yeah. So that like that was a, but that you can't put that on Coleman. Like that's a tough play to defend. And and yeah, he was technically in the coverage on that play. But yeah, I thought Griffin and Flowers both turned and ran with the wide receivers much better than they have at any point during the season. Part of it, I think, is scheme, but there were a couple of the plays they made over the middle, like you said. Like, this was a really good game from them against a really good receiver core, and Coleman, you know, he had the scoop and score, but otherwise he just played the middle well all game long. Yeah, and I, I like seeing the secondary guys get involved, and, in like, like, Shaquille Griffin had two run stops, which is, like, a classic Richard Sherman thing to do, is not just impact the game in coverage, but also get involved in run defense, make a good play. Um, that That's pretty awesome to see. Uh, yeah, I'm just, it was exciting times. Yeah, Bradley McDougald had the breakup on uh, Rudolph. I thought Tedrick Thompson had some good moments in coverage. Uh, there was the one out, out route where he ended up covering Thielen in the red zone. And when you condense the field into the red zone, Tedrick Thompson is really, really hard to make a catch against because he has great understanding of where he is on the field. And his lack of overall foot speed doesn't matter as much. So He he did the shallow coverage on Thielen, and I think Cousins is wise to not throw that direction. Yeah, there's a couple times that happened too. One more guy I want to talk about before we get out of here for defense, and that's Deion Jordan. And I think Deion Jordan, for him, I'm just waiting for the dam to break. Like, this guy has been on the field a lot. He's looked pretty good. He doesn't – it seems like he's fine. I'm just waiting for – he's going to have a couple games here down the stretch, I think, where he gets two or three sacks and maybe starts to to look like what we expected maybe at the beginning of the year. Because I think in this room we were expecting six to ten sacks, and uh, and right now he has one. And so I think the corner is going to turn a little bit for him. It would be a great time for it to happen because Frank's been carrying the load for a while, having somebody else clean up a few of those sacks. uh, I think Reed came on a little bigger than we thought he would. I was very optimistic, but he's been a better pass rusher. Yeah, I expected him to be good good in the run game, but maybe not effective in the pass game. And I maybe think that he's he's stepped up in that way more than than we could have expected. Yeah, right. I expected more out of Green than we've gotten, but I expected I didn't expect Reed to be so very good. I want to go big picture here. The oh, Seahawks. Wait, before we do oh, that, one more critical question from last night. Oh, okay. Um this one's for you, Eric. Oh, I'm ready. Uh huge 
huge downside from last night's game. Uh, I, I know where this is going. Let's get to the this. action green jerseys. Yeah, Seahawks. Does this, Eggers, does this Eggers permit double. them to uh, commit the uh, the war crime, crime against humanity, of wearing the action green uniforms again in prime time? At Eggers double. He tweeted us and he's like, "Hey, uh, the, the, he tweeted us a quote of the Seahawks tweet being like, Seahawks now undefeated in action green,' and it was like a, like that side eyes emoji. And I just posted that gif of Jonah Hill going, "No," I was like, <laughs> "Yeah." Here's like the thing. Can't. No, please don't. Really I, good use of side eyes emoji there too. By the way, I thought they Pons were gone else. forever because they hadn't they hadn't talked about them. You know that they were they were just like retired. And then what? Last Thursday they said on Monday night we we're taking on the, the the Vikings in action green. I was like, ugh, I can't, I can't I can't do this. Here's my problem. And you open up can of worms. So here we go. Teams are playing in throwbacks. Teams are playing in other helmets. Why can't the Seahawks play in throwbacks one night? Why can't the Seahawks play in classic colors with the current logo on the silver helmet? Gentlemen, let's move on I'm not to the gonna, podcast. I'm not going to lie. I want the throwbacks with the giant numbers. I yes. freaking love those. I don't and want the, the giant they numbers so, on the white jerseys. It's Royal so blue, stupid. silver helmets, current logo. Give it to me. Giant numbers, right, Eric? Yes. Giant numbers. Okay. The bigger the number, the that closer makes, to get. That makes uh, someone like, you know, George Fant look like, you know, you're your little sister wearing a christmas day jersey <laughs> wearing your dad is a jersey okay i'm gonna go big big picture now Here we're we gonna, gonna talk about out. that playoff race step, step out to the playoff race and then we'll do some twitter right. questions yeah uh, okay, i think if seahawks, we do this we've done all the twitter questions seahawks have a 99.2 percent chance of making the playoffs they have a 94.1 percent chance of making the getting the five seed we did a great job at, of beating all the other people who at, are also trying yeah, we, to make the playoffs we have the, tie, <laughs> we have the tiebreaker in everyone we basically just need to win one game against the two teams with the worst two DVOAs in the league right and now. And Kansas City. San Francisco and Arizona. We need one win against those two teams. We don't even have to beat Kansas City. Oh, but wouldn't it feel going good? Going one and two <laughs> is probably good enough to get the five seed because we have the tiebreaker on everyone. And everyone's six and seven or six, six and one. Uh, <laughs> so, so at this Take point, that. it's when, very when likely. Eight, seven and one makes the playoffs. That's going to be so good. It's very likely. For the Seahawks, that they will get into the playoffs at nine and seven or ten and six, be the five seed. Would you rather play Dallas or Chicago? We're going Dallas. on the road. Dallas. Okay, I'm gonna go the other way on this one, and that's I, why? partially why I wanted to talk about this because he does not believe in Mitchell Trubisky. Because Mitchell, call me Mitch or Mitch <laughs> Mitchell, I don't care. I Trubisky like how that makes the assumption Dak Prescott doesn't suck. Is I don't think Wash. him in a playoff game is like the scariest thing. At least I know the Dallas stage is too big. Dallas has um, Dallas. When we play Dallas, I understand it's in a weather-controlled building and stuff. I think cold weather favors the Seahawks. We are a great running team, and Chicago is not a great offensive anything. Uh, I think we could move the ball some running, win an ugly game in Chicago. If Dallas, A game against Chicago is a race to 21. Amari Cooper scares me. I'm like, Dallas, since they got Amari Cooper, is a different football team. And I, would, I want to see them overtake the Bears and get the three seed so that we can play Mitch Trubisky and the good Chicago secondary that I don't care about because we don't throw. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just it's it's a good matchup for us. I like styles make fights, and I think the style for us we want is the Chicago game. I don't know, man. I think that I think our offense has a better chance against Dallas. I think the pass rush of Khalil Mack and Khalil Mack's other foot uh, are too <laughs> much for the Seahawks offensive line. Akeem Hicks is also pretty good. Yes, but Khalil Mack has two feet and he plays football. He's 
Come on, ask John Gruden. He's great. Chicago is the best defense really in the league, but Dallas good. Dallas is only good at one thing. I mean, they're playing pretty, linebacker. They're pretty medium. <laughs> they're a really good rush defense, and then not a very good pass defense. But maybe we just throw all over them. I don't you know. remember when we beat them 24-13? I remember Remember that. when we almost beat Chicago on the road, too? And remember we, when we lost to them 24-17? The first game, the second, second game, game of the season. In the, in the Dallas game, too, like that game was in Seattle. I mean, it was and it was a seven point game. It's not like we blew them out. Uh, it was a eleven point. Wasn't game. it twenty four seven? Twenty four seven thirteen. Oh, I thought twenty four seventeen. Okay, so young thin ice, Nathan. I'm not on thin ice. I'm. I believe. I believe in the Seahawks, and I don't believe in Chicago Bears offense. Uh, here's the thing. I honestly would take us versus either game versus either team to the extent where I would put uh, a little bit of that dollar dollar bill on the Seahawks against either one of the playoffs because I think that quarterback play is extremely important, especially in the playoffs. Well, the only other team, Kevin, with a chance to get a three-seed is New Orleans, uh, and or the four-seed is New Orleans, and I don't want to play New Orleans. I don't want to play New Orleans either because <laughs> Drew Brees would pick us apart and yeah, it would be I'm painful. Not, that's like the only team in the playoffs I'm trying to avoid. I think we can beat Dallas. I think we can beat Chicago. I think we can beat the Rams. I, in our perfect world... I just want to avoid New Orleans. Somewhat, I, in our perfect world, Chicago would knock off New Orleans, and we could manage to get like... Uh, beat Dallas because here's the thing I don't think Dallas beats New Orleans revenge Rams so I think we beat Dallas <laughs> revenge Rams and then we get Chicago to go like if you're talking about like ultimate path to the Super Bowl conspiracy theory style that's what it is but can I just stop us for a second yeah we are talking about best scenarios for the first round of the playoffs that we will well, be in, we have a 90, 99.2% chance. If we and there's win, a reason why. If we win this week, we are guaranteed a playoff spot and almost a deadlock to get the fight. And we've dropped games we could win. We could have won either of those Rams games. We could have, like, we have yet to have a game where it felt like it was we, it was not winnable. And no I feel one, like the Chargers game was the closest it came to a game where I felt like we were outmatched most of the game. And even then, we lost by eight and we could have won. Yeah. As we said at the beginning of the year, this is the nine and seven football team with some upside and some downside uh the downside was probably russell wilson gets hurt or russell wilson is or the offensive line just doesn't gel at all and the upside was the rook the young guys play good and we're seeing a lot of young guys play good um we see it tedrick thompson is a good example of that just a young guy who really is coming into his own he's played great football all year jaron reed taking the next jaron reed took the leap this frank year. clark taking the leap one um, it's also i would say frank was already good but yeah but, <laughs> but i feel like he's more of a consistent pass rusher he is, than he was last season he is a consistent is, leader on this defense. this is actually my frank clark he's got criticism some of that Cliff thing there are on. there are games where he just kind of disappears though uh he there not are games where many, he has though, zero not pressures in a while. not in a while uh this no he's had He's had a few, but I think Here, it's I mean, look at he's it. disappeared. Just I think it's no less pressure. often than he used to. Of the 13 Seahawks <clears throat> games this year, how many games do you think he has zero or one pressures in? Three. Three. Okay, Eric, you gotta you gotta I'll, guess. I'll, I'll stick with three. You'll stick with three. Okay. Thank you for get, thank you for guessing to give me time to do it. Uh, it's zero this year. I, I tricked you guys. Uh, he has t- <laughs> he has t- he has two pressures in six games though. So. So uh, yeah, it's it's just I feel like there are games where he's not as as visible, you know. But I don't know, he's a really good football player. I don't know, I have no complaints about. We got Frank spoiled Clark. with Cliff Averill. Cliff Averill just always <laughs> and got Bennett matches. too, man. Bennett was daggers year after year. I think Bennett left on a bad note, and people want to discredit him, but there's no reason to. Well, do the that. Legion years were great. Michael That's... Bennett was an was an consistent top five DVOA, top five pro football focus rating player. Well, Frank Clark is the year. same player this year right now. That. I mean, you look at him, his sack numbers, everything. He's one of the best 
uh, pass rushing defensive ends in football right now. Yeah, let me look at edge grades for a second. While you guys, can you guys tell me um, about San Francisco while I look up just overall edge grades? So we played San Francisco two weeks ago. They sucked. Um, I knew and, Kevin. Uh, they still have it. Richard Sherman. San Francisco. If you uh, if you look at them, they still have George Kittle. They still suck. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo still not playing, and it still probably wouldn't matter. It's pronounced James Garoppolo. That's right. Well, Hall of Famer James Garoppolo. You know, if they had, he's already James got his gold Garoppolo, jacket. He does. Um, he bought it at a very nice used jacket store uh, in, the, in the Bay Area. In the Bay Area, uh, it, this he, is Montana. On the this back is this is going further than it needs to go. Um, <laughs> so says says the king of taking things way too far. It's, it's way actually too pronounced Montana. Yeah, the guy who takes every joke like five steps too far. I know that's how I know that it's too far. <laughs> I'm sitting over here on the boundary edge. Okay. I'm uh, like the chain gang of this, and edge, I'm telling you, edge defenders who have appeared in at least 240 snaps this year. Frank Clark is tied for ninth in pass rush productivity and is 27th in in uh, Pro Football Focus rating. Um, pretty good. You know, solid, solid performance. Yeah, I back up the Briggs truck like he's going to get paid. Um, he's ahead of guys that I really like too. Thirteenth um, is Michael Bennett though. It's, I, Michael Bennett is good. I don't, I don't know. Like we, I think Michael Bennett and Frank Clark is like a having very unfortunately watched like four Eagles games this year though. Michael Bennett is having a pretty quiet season. Uh, I will say four, he's having. Pretty did you watch tiny the fourth quarter and that overtime of that? Not Dallas quiet. Game? Oh well, man, he was. Sad. I think he had five pressures in the, just the fourth quarter. I couldn't yeah, watch that. That was, that was too that was much of a terrible game. game. <laughs> that was a really bad football game. Oh, Amari Cooper, when he catches that it wasn't quite like when you fuck, It wasn't quite like when you tricked me into watching Texas A&M LSU. <laughs> but that was a good, it was pretty bad. That was a great game, Kevin. That was an awful game, End and me. I will never forgive you. I just you. remember all, all caps in the group chat. End me. I'm done. I hate this game so much. Please let a team win. I just can't take this anymore. Oh, Kevin, speaking, speaking of, of football, we, got, we, have, we have college, college football. football this week. Are you ready There's, for some? Uh, there's five games, right? And three of them, I think, are very worth watching. Oh, I was going to go with two, but okay. The New Mexico Bowl, Utah State versus North Texas. That's, that's one of them I thought was uh, be awesome. Yeah. North Texas has Seth Luttrell, who's an offensive coach. They're a really fun team. They're kind of tricky. Utah State lost their head coach to Texas Tech, but they're a good team, and I think that they'll play well anyway. Do you want, to, do you want me to tell you uh, what Also, Seth Bobby Wagner's uh, very own Utah State. Go Here's Wagner. my Seth Luttrell review. Uh, if you... Th- if you wanted Mike Leach to be really buff and cooler than and not such a dork, Seth Luttrell's your guy. Also, if you wanted him to be willing to, you know, run in a blizzard, yeah, I think Seth Luttrell would do that. Yeah, I think he would do that, but they throw uh, they throw a lot, a lot. Yeah, they're very pointsy and fun. Yeah, uh, the Las Vegas Bowl, Fresno State versus Arizona State. Yeah, you like this one? That should be a good matchup. I was kind of uh, expecting Fresno State to light them up. I think they're both good defenses. I think Arizona State's defense is a little underrated. So that's another game that I think could be interesting and worth watching. Please tell me. I could see Fresno State topping them, but the last one is the New Orleans Bowl. Oh, I thought you were going to go with the Crampton Bowl, Kevin. No, not the Crampton uh, Ge- Bowl. Georgia Southern's only favored by one point in the Georgia Crampton Southern's Bowl. Georgia Southern's bad. <laughs> they're, they're only favored by one point, though, against Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan, also bad. Yeah, how is the... I want you to play. I want, I, I'm trying to get people to like college football. Thank you very much. Hey, Eastern Middle Michigan. Tennessee State runs pro style. App State is uh, kind of a throwback team. Appalachian State should demolish them, but something surprising could happen. This could be a fun one. Is that Appalachian State? They lost their coach, right? Uh, yes, but so the, I don't care. But does that stuff matter? I, like, I was going to ask you, like, uh, in these it bowl games? really depends on the school. Like, Appalachian State, I don't worry about it as much because that's kind of an institution. Like, that was a, that's a D2 powerhouse 
that moved up and they have like their chain of commands really well set. Uh, same with Utah State. Utah State is a very stable program. I think when you're a stable program, it matters less. If you are a team that's built more around the cult of personality of one coach and it's the time that you were finally successful, then losing that coach can be a much bigger deal. Hey, it's the reason like why like UCF kept winning after they lost their coach because UCF was a program. Before you see, yeah, and also you get to recruit in Florida. Yeah, uh, be, that's, that's what makes them a program. Before you, uh, before you uh, see us again next State, week, UA, UAB will play Northern Illinois in the uh, FAU or the Cherubundi Boca Raton Bowl. The Boca Raton Bowl is nuts because every year it ends up being crazy and weird. But I just like UAB because they try, the University of Alabama boosters tried to kill them and they will not die. And they came back stronger than ever and they won Conference USA. And they're playing against a Middle Tennessee, or excuse me, against a Northern Illinois team that is a defensive powerhouse. So this should be an interesting game, but it might not be as pointy as I wanted. Now, my to be. question for you, Eric, is: Can you tell me what Cherubundi is? It is a uh, dish where they mash up a plantain <laughs> with some gravy, and I believe there's it sausage is a, in there. It is a brand of tart cherry juice. Cherubundi tart cherry juice. That's who's sponsoring this bowl. I thought that oh, it was uh, college bowl sponsors. Are it so sure stupid. is hot out. Get yourself some Cherubundi. I thought that it was uh, the name of a baby from... Uh, Dusty Rhodes, unnamed kid. No, Al and Peg Bundy. Cherubundi. Boo. Uh, boo, Kevin, boo. A oh. season 12 plot device in Married uh. with Children. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to this situation. Patreons, money zone. I will say, this is why I didn't say the sponsors of any of them. I will not say... Like, I don't know when these know it's the Gildan New Mexico Bowl. But Gildan is like a, like a, you understand where that sponsor came from, right? Like, it's like, this is a, this is I a do, sponsor who makes Gildan t-shirts. Bowl. I will say, uh, every year there is an eligible player with the last name Belk. Belk will put them in the Belk Bowl, which makes me really happy. So, uh, if you, if ever you see a playoff eligible team where one of the players' last names is Belk, you know where they're going. They're going to the Belk Bowl. As long as Belk can get them, yeah. All right, here we go. Um, <laughs> oh, for all of our West Coast fans, Belk is like head, basically Sears. Let's head to the money zone. Uh, thank you to all the people who support the CXNS podcast. Uh, we are almost to our first goal level, only $4 per month away. Uh, when we get to our second goal level, we will have video of this podcast, which that's um, not something you, you don't, want. you probably don't want that. Uh, please stop at $3 more. Uh, However, so, if you are, well, it's a hundred, the next, next level is $150 from the, from the, for the current during level. tonight's okay. podcast. Kevin Garber was all mic'd up. All right. Forrest, Forrest, Richard, Tom, Lucas, Carrie, Chuck, Attila, Kieran, Brett, Mike, David, Mirza, Keith, Arthur, Frank, Michelle, Brian, Josh, Matt, Nick, Michael. Thank you for supporting the CXNS podcast. It helps us more than you'll ever know. Also, you get to access to our picks, which were bad last week, but good every other week. Uh, so so uh, Kevin did good, but everyone else did bad. Um, yep. And that's uh, that's my uh, my pitch there. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter. You can find us all of those places, all those places you like to, to click hearts or thumbs up. And uh, you can give us a five-star review on iTunes. We got a lot closer to our goal for iTunes reviews, Kevin. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. We uh, we made significant progress. We were at 49. Five new reviews last week. 20 away. Uh, 20 to go until we get to the sex number. From the promised land. To the sex number. All right. Uh, then we'll be uh, 300 and something away from, from our next goal. Uh, so our movie today. I think we can today, make the 300 just astute before we do that. Astute listeners. 
No, 300, that's just gay porn uh, masquerading as As opposed movie. to 69420. And, and there is nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just... We're not judging, we're just stating. I'm just stating a fact. Okay, uh, as two listeners will know, we're doing Lethal Weapon because we made a... A Riggs and Murdoch. Riggs and Murdoch joke. Uh, the thing, reason we're doing Lethal Weapon is we're doing Christmas movies that aren't Christmas movies until Christmas. And uh, this is a Christmas movie. It's set at Christmas, just like uh, many other Christmas movies that are not Christmas movies. Uh, Shane Black wrote it. Richard Donner, director of The Goonies, directed it. That's so uh, good. Uh, so let's, Superman, just, let's Superman break this down too. a little bit. Okay, um, so it stars Mel Gibson as Martin Riggs. Martin Riggs is crazy. And I don't mean just like run-of-the-mill, uh, normal crazy. Oh, I, my family's crazy, you guys. Uh, I'm crazy. No, just like everything. He, he really is leaning into the like, I'm a psychopath well, thing in this movie. There's a uh, there's this, a backstory there. He we lost the his woman the, and he can't of the state keep of California, it together. Find the defendant. He is, he is legit suicidal. Like he yeah. is trying to die on the job. He's like trying to get pe- yeah. he, There's a scene in the beginning of the movie where he's on top of a building and uh, he's like, let's just jump together. Let's jump. Let's do it. Do it. Let's he jump. He starts calling out the guy the for guy who's not like having suicidal. the nerve to, be, to like kill himself. Yeah. And then he grabs him and they jump together. Yeah. And they hit the swimming pool, I believe. Uh, there's uh, the scene where he describes the hollowed bullet that he has specifically uh, like set up and perfect that he plans to blow out the back of his head with. Like, there are multiple instances where he goes into, like, very, like, solid detail that, that let you know he has planned to kill himself. Um, he is, while he is not busy physically killing himself with weaponry, he is also drinking himself to death. Okay. So, yeah. So, Riggs is crazy. And uh, no one wants to be his partner. And no one wants to be his partner. But the straight man in this is uh, is Roger Murda, who is uh, old, just coming back from surgery. Too old for this shit. Isn't he heart surgery, right? Uh, I thought it was like hip surgery. Okay, he's just coming back from. I just know he's coming back back from from old man. He's had his fiftieth birthday. He's coming back uh, to to the to the job. He's he's being paired up with Riggs, and then he gets this case. Uh, This guy Hunsaker. So many crazy things happen at the beginning of this movie. This guy Hunsaker comes to him, and then he's like, "You got to help my daughter," you know. And then and then he he goes to investigate the daughter, and he finds that she's committed suicide, but. She had drain cleaner in her system or something, so she's been poisoned. Yeah, they find something out. So, so then they're like, "Oh, well, maybe it was a murder." So then they go to like her her pimp's house, and then that guy's like, "There's all this crazy. There's a crazy shootout." Riggs is like just a murder machine. Yeah, Murtaugh <laughs> carries around a six shooter because he's old school. Yeah, yeah. little and, revolver. Uh, just, every time he has to move more than six to eight inches, he like makes these groaning noises and stuff <laughs> to let you know that he's dying. Yeah, he's because he's old and he's like, got to <laughs> catch his breath and he's he's covering when he doesn't need to cover. I'm just Danny Glover like turns so hard it's into funny, the I'm why we love Danny Glover. It's so good. So, so then Danny Glover's so they're, good. they're like they're like there's something wrong with this case. There's something off about it. So they go to question Dixie, who is the three boob lady from Total Recall, by the way, <laughs> yes. if you weren't Thank sure. God. Uh, so they go to they go to question Dixie and they're like, what's going on? When they go to her house it blows up. Yep. It just the house explodes. The whole house. Uh, and they they find a mercury switch. A professional has done this. And then they see a guy who has a tattoo similar to Riggs' tattoo, and they realize this is turned special Marine forces. Special Forces guys. <laughs> oh, and then the movie just really. Gets I also like off that the there's rails. an entire plot line around the fact that uh, uh, Riggs has a bum shoulder; he can dislocate on demand, 
And yep. so he, uh, on multiple occasions, will dislocate his own shoulder as part of a through, plot device. Through the course so of good. I like many the, films. I like that the yeah, bad guys ha- are part of an organization called the Shadow Company. Yes. That's, that's one of my favorites. They're The bad guys are Shadow Company. Isn't this the one where they have the fight on the uh, front lawn, or is that the second Yo, one? Oh, this no, is this first one. one. Okay, so is this the one with the bomb on the toilet? Uh, oh, that's number two. That's number that's two. Num- <laughs> So, num- so in this one, the end of this movie is Works. nuts. Okay, so Gary Busey is like the uh, he's like the supreme killer of the Shadow Company. He's like their their uh, their top man. He's crazy, top man. Uh, just like just like Riggs, he's literally insane. He's seen the shit. But Gary Busey, don't be fooled. This is when Gary Busey was a normal human being, just drinking no, himself to no. death. No, he was not a normal. Human he was being. a very good but actor. He was on the Gary play- Busey he level was of built. Normal. He's playing a psycho in this movie, though. Yeah, and he is. He plays it very well. Uh, but yeah, so. In this movie, like you know, there's a part where where Murtaugh gets and Murtaugh, his daughter and his daughter get captured, right? Well, they because ca- she's dating uh, Gary Busey. What? <laughs> Murtaugh's daughter, Rianne? No, in the, in the okay, this is the thing I wanted to talk about in this movie. Murtaugh's daughter, there is a very heavy sexual tension between Murtaugh's daughter and Riggs. And, and Riggs, and in the whole movie, and it is like. The most like well, they are very it's, specifically. It's she is crushing on him, and he doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah, he's like he's like not he's not, not pushing away. He's but not he stopping. Know it. How to handle it? He's not stopping it. That's for sure. No, I mean, but, he also doesn't pursue or anything. Okay, let's, what, let's be let's be careful about this. This isn't over the top. The the boyfriend remark is due because uh, how does uh, how does she go turn up missing Nathan? They, uh, they say that your boyfriend picked her up, which was. Uh, they find out it was Gary Busey. Yes. Oh, yeah. They, they yes. tricked her into thinking. Yeah. Yes. Okay. yes. That's okay. what I'm saying. Okay. And then the, is, then they, is they, they end up in like the, 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 the desert, desert and then with limousines. Mr. And Joshua a is in a helicopter. Yeah, God, shooting down so in a in a like weird. a helicopter. Like, and they trying to make sense while you're watching it. And yeah, it all makes sense in context. Murtaugh and the daughter are like trying to drive away and stuff, and then they they think they kill at the end. They think they killed Riggs in a drive by, but he's not really dead. So they've got pretends to be dead. They've got like a is it a drive by or do they bomb his trailer? I thought it was a, no, it's a drive. And he ends up like he like climbs underneath the trailer, right? Or am yeah, I, they, they like or am I thinking of the I second think, one again? I think, no, I think you're right. Okay, so then yeah, then they ca- so has a trap door in his trailer because he's mm-hmm. paranoid and uh, crazy. So so then Murtaugh and Riggs do like an ambush because they think Riggs is dead, but he's but he's not. But he's not. You know, and then he's sniping. And, he has a uh, sniper rifle. Uh, they tor- They get tortured. That torture scene is pretty intense. Yeah, they they basically do one of those in every movie where uh, Riggs gets tortured. I think just Gibson kind of well, likes when it. Does, keeps him fresh. When does Riggs get uh, the sponge electrocution? That is in this one. Torture. This okay. That also is in like the third one, and I think maybe the fourth one. By the uh, Chinese stuntman who plays like a heavy in every movie and then dies a quick horrible yep. death. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, oh, Al Leong. True character actor. That's got to be him. Yeah, that's the guy that got stabbed through stabbed by an ice cream cone in, uh, in Last Action <laughs> yes, Hero. Yes, it is. That yeah, is that guy. It's the same guy. <laughs> so I love bringing up how these, like, action movies all have little <laughs> connections like that. Like, the three boob lady and the guy who got stabbed with an ice cream cone are in this movie. Uh, okay. So then, yeah, Riggs and Riggs and Mr. Joshua are fighting on the lawn. And then, that, this is my favorite part of the whole movie is they're, they're fighting and they're just, like, beating the brakes off each other, you know? And the police are all there. And Murdoch's like, no, let them work it out. Let him fight, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, no, like they like they would never do this. Well, they're 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 fighting in in pouring rain. However, if you watch closely, the rain is only falling on the lawn. Yeah, yeah, right, because, because it's, it's not, not real. Rain. It's not yeah, real. It's rain. not. It's not hitting any of the cars. It's just right there. But it is absolutely pouring rain that is yes, not real. It is. 
It is pissing only on them. Yeah, it's great how uh, instead of uh, instead of Mr. Joshua being gunned down in a hail of bullets, from, I mean, this is LAPD too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. There's no way LAPD wouldn't gun this guy down in four seconds. Well, he does end up getting gunned down, but like Gary Busey, yeah, it's like Paul, they wouldn't like, let him fight. They wouldn't let him. Riggs like beats him. Riggs like beats him up. He wins the he fight. He beats the crap out of and him, then, and then he gets and, up. But he's getting the crap beat out of him too. But then yeah, so then Mr. Joshua's done. But then he gets up and he like. He tries to steal a gun from a patrolman, but Riggs and Murdoch are like, uh-uh, and they just shoot him like ten times. They get, we get the we get the uh, shot ten times by LAPD that yeah. we that we really need at the end of this movie. And then uh, Riggs, capes. Riggs is having uh, at the end of the movie they're having Christmas dinner together, and uh, you know, and there's some feel good song. No, uh, the the end of the movie is like kind of grim. He gives him a like a bullet as a present. He was like, this was the bullet I was going to use to kill myself, and it's like. It's yeah, kind of feel good though because it's like I don't want to die anymore. Yeah, but that's still pretty. And then, uh, and then pretty we're dark. gonna play. Uh, yeah, but then we're gonna play Rock Around the Christmas Tree and everything's fine. Yeah, Doctor. And then they open up the second movie with uh, uh, his daughter was in a condom commercial and he's perpetuating the abuse. Right. I forgot okay. about that. You ready for alternate alternate scenes? Okay. Oh, and do you remember the chicken scene? Chickens. Uh, they get him to uh, pretend to be a chicken to distract the guy. This is a, oh wow! I don't remember which yes. lethal weapon this is because no, they're all the same the movie. It's not three. The they are all the same movie. Who cares? Um, <laughs> they're not all the same movie because one has Jet Li. Yeah, one has Joe Pesci. Isn't that lethal weapon four? Yeah, and and this one takes place during Christmas. Because do you remember who Joe Pesci plays? Oh, he plays. Don't say. Don't say. Don't say. Leon gets because when you want Leo gets. Leo get it. Get it. Oh, I hate that character. <laughs> Lethal Weapon 3 and 4 are like not good. 1 and 2 are fine. 2 has diplomatic three, immunity. 3 was awful. Dislike. I remember watching it at the drive-thru. 1 and, and 2 are both, I never watched. 1 and 2 are both incredibly enjoyable. I think 4 one is, should be better than I think than 1's like a good movie. 1 four is legitimately good. 4 should enjoyable. have been a good movie, but it wasn't. Yeah, correct. That was one with Chris Rock? They were yes. all too old for that That was shit. one for Chris Rock. Chris Rock and uh, it had uh, and Jenny Russo and Jet Li. Yeah, just not. Yeah, it should have been more than it was. Mel Gibson was just also kind of too, too old, old and too racist too old for that. Oh, at that point. Okay. Um, alternate versions. Okay, there's an alternate opening where the, the the movie was supposed to open with Riggs in a bar and he beats the brakes off of two thugs who try to like to, to like rob him. That'd have been way cooler than what they did. But there've been too many grocery store openings, and they thought it was too similar. There, there's no, uh, there's no setting up his craziness though. It depends on like how he depression. beat them up. Well, he could be like depressedly drinking in a bar, and then he could just beat them up I don't with bar-related paraphernalia. The, uh, the the jumper thing was better. Yeah, I don't. I just think it was darker. And ready, this is a pretty ready, dark movie. Ready for two deleted scenes? Okay, yeah. There's one where Riggs dispatches a sniper who's killing children on a playground. Wow. Uh, I I was aware of that Cut scene from the movie. That not that that was too dark. Richard Donner was like, eh, let's let's leave the, the other kids one out is of this. Riggs picks up a prostitute, but instead of like having sex with her, they just go home and watch Three Stooges and hang out. That should have been in. That would have been perfectly. That, fitting. Yeah, that's. Um, I want that. And that's that's a uh, that's all I've uh, director's. That's I've the scene we needed here. Uh, I don't have any like uh, alternate stuff except for guess who the one of the first choices for directors was. Uh, the guy who did kickbox, Leonard Leonard Nimoy. What? But he couldn't do it because he was working on three net three men, three men. <laughs> I can't do it. I am working on a he Steve Gutenberg movie. You know why I couldn't do Lethal Weapon two then, right? Because we're counting three men and a little lady. Oh, good call. Do you, how do you feel about three men and a baby, Eric? Last word. Uh, pass. Goot. <laughs> I'm a big Ted Danson fan. The Goot. I'm a big it's Ted it's fine. Fan, it's so. fine, and there's not a ghost in it, despite what you read. Okay. For for Eric Ronnebeck, for Kevin Garber, we'll see you next week. Go Hawks. I'm a loose cannon.